Hey guys, one thing before the episode begins. We're going to just throw a quick plug for our seasonal correspondent Amelia's new streetwear brand, Lude Drip. I love it! She has a cool selection of hentai-inspired apparel that makes you look clean while giving you that kawaii-ass sheen. I love it! You can even get yourself some cool peeker stickers of a Syscon show and last year's Rena Waifu anime, and even some Genshin Impact stickers if you're into that. I love it! You can get all of that and more by going to the website ludrip.com. That's L-E-W-D-D-R-I-I-P. So, like with two eyes. I love it! And if you use coupon code OTML with your purchase of $50 or more at checkout, then nothing will happen because there's no area to put a coupon code. But hey, it's fun to pretend. I love it! So go check that out right now or maybe later or just whenever you think about that. And let's talk some non-lewd anime. I love it! The Otaku Melancholy Podcast, the podcast that rises with the wind and sets with the waifus. My name is Matt, and I don't know a whole lot about planes, but I also don't know a whole lot about anything else either. And I'm Brad, and I'm just one faulty strut failure away from crumbling into a torrential wind. (sighs) How poetic. He's so deep. Hmm. Anyways, you're here. It's the last week of Miyazaki month before we transition into a new fun-themed month. But you'll see that next week. This is not that week. But as we covered Miyazaki's first work and some of his most popular, we are covering his latest work, his former swan song before he decided, fuck it, I'm coming back into the game. I'm going to make a new swan song. And then he'll make another swan 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 song after that. Mm-hmm. Until eventually they're just like, Miyazaki, you're 120 years old. And he's just like, yeah, so this next one is going to be based off a historical novel about a guy who fought in World War One, who also designed Miyazaki looks around his room. Pencils, wartime pencils. Everybody. <laughs> okay. Just let him do it. He's, he's got, he's, he doesn't know where he is. But that film that we'll be covering today is The Wind Rises, or Kaze Tachinu, or literally The Wind Has Risen. Yeah, which is based on the book The Wind Has Risen. By Tatsuo Hori. And I think it's also based off Miyazaki's manga that he, um, that he made, based off the book as well. 
But before we dive into that subject, it's time for your weekly Otaku Melancholy check-in. Oh, wow. Exciting. So, Brad, what have you been doing? What have you been watching? What have you been experiencing? Well, I've been working on a costume for the Renaissance Fair, which I just got back from. How'd that go? Didn't finish the costume. Didn't get anywhere close. But you know what? I'm glad I didn't because it was hot. Mm-hmm. We in the, uh, for those of you not in the, in the regional know, the southeast is experiencing a heat wave. Uh, like, I think today it was around high of 90 degrees. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, literally the first thing I did when I got to the Ren Fair was look around for one of those stands selling parasols and folding fans, and it got one of each. And that has kept me alive over the weekend. But other than that, had fun at the Ren Fair. Went to see a bunch of uh, nice artistic vendors. Uh, got, like, they had a bunch of elf ears and those ear cuffs, which were really nice. With me- little metallic flowers on them. Saw a acrobatics team juggling torches and flaming swords and whatnot. And a jousting tournament. Hmm. Definitely recommend going to a Renaissance fair at least once. Yeah, I've been to I, I've been to one, been to a couple actually. Yeah, ours aren't uh, the one I've been to wasn't as fanciful as that though. They were kind of a uh, rudimentary in actual, in actual uh, exhibits. But they did have a homemade cream soda, and root beer, um, and root beer uh, vendor whose root beer tasted so unique, and I'm still, it, it just unlike anything I've ever experienced in why why <laughs> you've knocked down a figure congratulations <laughs> I'm so sorry guys every single week I have to deal with this cat who sleeps through the entirety of whenever Brad and I are watching the movie for this week but then as soon as we're done she's like it's game time are you tired out anyways very unique flavor of root beer. Very unique flavor of cream soda as well. Mm. The cream soda tastes almost like bubble gum or cotton candy. It has a very unique flavor. Interesting. But yeah, I went. I always go as a monk whenever, <laughs> whenever I go to these Renaissance fairs. Mostly because I have a robe and I have a large oversized cross. So you know, bada bing, bada boom, monk. Yeah, monk. I tried to go as a knight, and uh. As per usual, I got overambitious and did not appreciate how much work I would have to do in so much little time. Mm-hmm. But that's what I've been doing. I haven't had much time for anime. What about you? What have you been doing? Um. Well, at this point, I've been trying to... I've been, like I said in previous podcasts, I've been doing this thing where I'm keeping to playing one game and one game alone until I finish it, so I'm currently trying to beat Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yeah. And I'm not doing a very good job because while it is a fun game, I constantly go, man, I want to play something else. Mm -hmm. So that constantly, that's just a vicious cycle of me saying, like, I want to play this, but I also don't want to play this. And outside of that, anime, um, I'm actually trying to clash up on a lot of classics. 
the modern classics as it were. I'm currently trying to go through Parasite the Maxim. Ooh. Uh, picked, picked back up Konosuba after our uh, latest Was It That Hype? Because <laughs> I said, man, I want to watch this but good. Yeah. And also I am starting back on Hunter Hunter after I had a conversation with somebody in the local anime society who said, you have an anime podcast and you haven't watched Hunter Hunter? Like, that's some sort of insult to me. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, so I'm just trying to get through those three and then eventually I'm going to play catch up to my seasonals, which I've been doing pretty good on. So, you know, I'm also here to issue a public service announcement before we properly start because of something that pissed me off today. Oh, that I was so. So here's the thing. (laughs) Here is a here is the thing. I go to a lot of bookstores to the manga section because I am a weeb. I like to go to the manga section. It's also where the weebs hang out. But here's the thing about this. I need some of you, and you know who you are. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I have never been one to criticize anyone's just what they like or anything of that sort because, hey, I literally every single week talking about anime, manga, whatever. That's literally what I do at this point. Mm -hmm. But some of you really need to look in the mirrors and say, am I an annoying piece of crap? And some of you look in that mirror and nod your head. And why I'm saying this is because I went to this bookstore and I hate the local bookstore I have because the manga section is pitiful. And also every time I go online, I'm like, oh, do they have this? And it's like, we've got it in stock. And then I go there and they're like, psych. So I just spend my time wandering around looking for manga that is not in the store and all four places that they put manga because that's just a that that's just the way they want to be. So anyways, so recently I was there going to the manga trying to find a volume that's actually for the podcast, you know, so I was going to keep the receipt and do a tax write off. Say it was a business expense. (laughs) So I'm looking for this manga and while I'm doing I'm like, oh, there's this uh. Do I have this volume of Kaguya? I'm like, oh, I don't think I do. But no, I might. So I'm going through the pages. And this per- this 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 girl approaches me. This woman approaches me. And she's looking for the latest volume of Fly Me to the Moon or Tony Kakakuai. And we just strike up a casual conversation. She's like, oh, do you do you watch that? And I'm like, oh, I read it too. And she's, you know, showing up the volume, trying to be trying to be funny. You know, because I'm a funny guy, quote unquote. And we just strike up a normal, solid conversation talking about the anime we like and all that. And she's talking to me about Tony Kakakuai. And then this neck beardy motherfucker approaches and he's all like, Hey, do you guys like do you guys do you guys check do you guys do you guys know about Boruto? And instantly both of us tighten up. And we're like she's like, I never finished Naruto and I I, I just I say, hey, you know, um, I'm not really um I'm not really the biggest fan of that sort of thing but and then he goes off about his favorite manga and now here's the thing preface this because some of my favorite favorite people from meeting and doing this podcast are Shonen Bronins but here's the thing he just kept talking about Shonen anime while both of us had romance anime manga or romance manga in our hands and he keeps talking and talking and talking not giving us really a place we can we can interject one word or two words but he keeps talking and talking and eventually the the um the the uh, woman that was I was talking to sidles her way out of the book out of the uh, the aisle to go to another aisle and he follows her mm-hmm. And at that moment, I felt my, I just felt my identity crumble. I started to hate myself because I was just, 
She didn't say anything, dude. She just walked away. Yeah. And you're following her. We obviously were not invested in your conversation. I mean, like, not that I don't like to talk about shonen manga or anything, but if I'm having a discussion, I want to talk. I want to be able to say something. But then he goes over to the other eye. Well, then he starts saying, like, oh, you like this romance anime? Why don't you check out Shokugeki no Soma? And she says something back. And then I... She walked into another section entirely, and he kept following her. And in that moment, I really, truly hated this hobby for a second. Yeah. Now, I know this is a little bit of a rant, but it just it just, it just fucked with me in a profound way. And I just want to say, everybody, if people aren't interested in the conversation, that's not, that's not an attack on you. Some people just don't aren't interested in what you're talking about. And just let them go. Don't try to keep the conversation going. Maybe they have other things to do. Maybe the other things are going on. But please, we as weebs need to just take a moment. Some of us, some of us, I know I'm guilty of it, but some of us need to just take a moment and say, hey, maybe I'm annoying the person I'm talking to, especially if you're going to be that way. Like if you're going to creep on people of the opposite sex or anything like that, we just need to, we just need to have an identity. Not that I think that's a bad thing. You're, You're passionate about what you're into, but just. Sometimes you just need to turn it down. But I've been thinking about that all day, and it's been bothering me so much. And I, I like I said to Brad, I'm like, man, sometimes I hate being a weeb. And that's yeah. one of those moments that kind of made me feel that way. I mean, you got to have some self-awareness. you got to be able to read the room. Mm-hmm. Just don't be cringe. Well, be cringe, but realize the bad cringe. If you're going to be cringe, at least know that you're cringe. Acknowledge your cringe. No, yeah, don't kill there's the a part time and that... place for cringe. Don't kill the part of you. Don't don't kill your cringe. Kill the part of you that cringes, but also keep a little bit of it there so you can know when, I don't know. Anyway, speaking of things that talked long enough about <laughs> that talked a whole lot today's getting to today's topic. I'm so sorry, guys. And that is The Wind Rises, directed by Hao Miyazaki. Who did you think directed it? I thought it was Didney himself. Didney himself. Produced by Toshio Suzuki, his constant collaborator, and starring Hideaki <laughs> Anno, the creator of Neon Genesis Evangelion. There you go, people. Mm-hmm. So... To summarize The Wind Rises, for anyone who might not have heard of this, then that might be understandable. Uh, so, we have our main guy, Horikoshi Jiro, who as a young child fantasized about planes back in the early 1900s. And wanted to one day design his own plane, since because of his nearsightedness he could not fly them. He thought he would build them. And he had a dream... To build the most beautiful, the most graceful and elegant flying machine that could ever grace the skies. And unfortunately for him, the world had other ideas. On his way to Tokyo, there was the Great Kanto Earthquake of 1923, which left the Kanto region and Tokyo in shambles for a good few years. And it only got worse from there after, you know... Everyone's everyone's about ready to have another war. And boy, <laughs> weapons are getting crazy. <laughs> so in his 
in in his goal to design his perfect aircraft, everyone around him, his executives, contractors, the military, are all pushing him to design the perfect war air fighter. And Jiro's mm-hmm. not really crazy about that. But he's also not not crazy about it. He still works on the planes. But I guess like his idol, the great Giovanni Caproni, the great Italian plane manufacturer. Aircraft designer. Aircraft yeah. designer. His his imaginary friend, Giovanni Caproni. Yes. As he said, you know, I had to design warplanes, but the war's over now. So now I can design my true flying machine. So I guess that's what Jiro's all about. He's going to have to design these warplanes before he can make his masterpiece. <laughs> and along the way, he had he meets a girl, gets married, he travels to Germany, and meets a a, a fascinating dude. And a whole bunch of other stuff happens. This is a a departure from Miyazaki and Studio Ghibli's usual stuff, in that this is a historical. Uh, a historical telling, although, as uh, if the Wikipedia page will plainly point out, it is a fictionalized historical retelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'm fairly certain that uh, I'm fairly certain that he didn't hang out with an imaginary uh, Italian aircraft designer. But who am I to get all this kind of just stuck in a wad? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, these the, basically the core story all has real aircraft designers in them, uh, in real real events. But maybe the order and one of the characters is entirely fictional. Yeah, but the way that it goes forward is to kind of give you a gist of this man's life and his contributions, and maybe the emotional plight of what he experienced, especially as it concerns his romance. Mm-hmm. Um. But yes, this was a very big departure from previous Studio Ghibli, uh, Ghibli um, films, especially from me who's experiencing them. Well, Miyazaki films, because a lot of what Miyazaki does can kind of be targeted at children. But this one, I feel like, is a very hard sell to a uh, to a little little wee lad who's looking for an entertainment <laughs> a- entertaining afternoon. Yeah, this is a two hour six minute runtime, and that first. 30 minutes to first hour is uh, kind of a long one. And that's a, it's a really hard sell because with this being a historical telling, it doesn't have the narrative beats like most films and especially most Miyazaki films have. Where like, mm-hmm. in Spirited Away, you get established real quick that something happened to Ch- uh, Chihiro's parents and she needs to rescue them. All right? That's mm-hmm. something to work for for the whole film. Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. You know, nature is mad, and Nausicaa has to, to fix the balance between man and nature, and also save nature. Mm-hmm. There, we got something to work with. This is Jiro, who's working to be an aircraft designer. It's just his mm-hmm. life. And just like anyone else's life, it it's not... An epic saga. It's just a, a moving from point A to point B to point C to D. You know, things happen. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I mean, and that, that was a problem that you and I consistently had when we watched this film together was we we're like, where, where, where are we? What's going on? Yeah. Is he older now? Is that voice finally fitting his face? Because uh, the first time that this guy talked, or the first time that Anno delivered his lines, I said, that is not the voice of that character. Yeah. That feels extraordinarily out of place. And early on, there were a lot of things that felt really out of place. For one thing, the Foley design utilizes a lot of, uh, utilizes a lot of human noises for stuff like the plane setting off or trains, all that sort of thing. Or the earthquake. Yeah. And I did some research because, you know, like something that's that weird has to be some sort of artistic design. And me and my semi-trained ear could not tell that apparently the the sounds of the human according to this article i was reading who praised the foley design when the engines start up they're slowly made with human noises but slowly as these human ambitions transition into machines of marvel that is when we find the human noises being replaced with those of technolo- of technology in a more polished setting and i said i guess so i maybe guess. i just yeah i was like i suppose well i mean like i feel like you're re- you're reaching that you want to just want to praise this film, but the moment that every plane started off and it was going, <laughs> I was like, okay, uh, I can make airplane noises too. Yeah, this reminded me of Keep Your Hands Off Isaac in, and where it had like human noises replacing a lot of or making a lot of sound effects, and that made sense in that context because that's the stream of consciousness and imagination flowing. And it makes sense in some parts for Wind Rises because a lot of that, uh, a lot of when that happens is in Jiro's daydreams where he's daydreaming about his, some of his plane designs or of other plane designs and just imagining how they work and how they fly. And that works. But there are some moments in real life where there's still those fully designs. The, those Foley sounds and at the start it's confusing because I thought this was a dream sequence that was what I was trained to recognize oh human sounds dream sequence mm-hmm. and then and then that gets turned on my head but once I figured yeah. out that this happens for most of the time for the sounds then it became off-putting like especially for the earthquake scenes where people are dying homes are being burned down and lives are being uh, unearthed it kind of mm-hmm. undersold the weight of what should be happening like this is supposed mm-hmm. to be tragic but it feels kind of dark fanciful yeah it feels sort of like a dark comedy yeah mm. no i feel that there's a lot of things that juxtapose against the nature of what's being portrayed it kind of left me feeling a little bit uh a little bit off put like i said ano's voice um does not fit the character his the appearance of jiro he looks very youthful and spirit well he looks very youthful <laughs> but yeah. then out come from a mouth cool so so they were no this and i said that's no that that feels weird and funnily enough the English voice actor, we watched the Japanese sub mm-hmm. because that's just who we are. The Japanese voice actor for older Jiro is Joseph Gordon-Levitt, 
which now that I'm looking at it, like, yeah, that, that, that would fit, you know? Yeah. I feel that would fit. But the other thing that's interesting to me is that young Jiro is voiced by Zach Callison or, you know, most, most widely known for his portrayal of Steven from Steven universe. And that seems like it'd be raw. The entire English cast I'm looking at and I'm saying like, oh, that looks like it, it would, it would fit. Castorp, the fictional German character is verse voiced by Werner Herzog. And that definitely fits. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, all of these feel like they would really work. And Emily Blunt voices Nahoko. And we just, we didn't get that same experience. I, I mean, like, I'm not a Japanese native speaker, but the the portrayals felt weird to me. I don't know. Like, if it, it wasn't just Hano. It was everybody else in a way. Well, a lot of the original Japanese voice actors really sold their parts. Like, the engineers, Hattori... And uh, uh, what was it? Kurokawa? They had some pretty solid voices and that fit their characters. Looking at Hideaki Anno's voice acting roles, he's got three. Yeah, and I bet the other two are background characters. Yep. So his other two are Miyu Miyu from Fully Cooly, which is the, uh, <laughs> if you don't recognize that, it's the little blue and white cat character. Now it's mm-hmm. this big wacky house cat. And also mm-hmm. he voiced an alien from Abenobashi. Mm-hmm. So going from those two to the protagonist, nay, the main character, front and center of this Miyazaki work, um don't get it. Oh, he's apparently done a lot more than that, too. He's been in actual films. Oh, has he? And he was... Yeah, he plays cameo roles a lot. (laughs) I don't know. There's a lot about this film that took a while to grow on to me. You know? Yeah. When it starts off, it is very leaning heavily into the the setting of this pre-war Japan, as some would say, unsullied, uh, heavily... More devoid of being sullied by Western culture, as you can see by just the attire that young Jiro wears and what you see him, you know, coming into contact with. Mm -hmm. And the point is that Jiro is supposed to be very, very in love with aerodynamics, like like studying aerodynamics and all that and making aircrafts. And in the early parts of it, he comes off as, you know, a bit eccentric with his obsession over the uh, fish bones and, you know, his his going into a, you know, Isaacan mode where he encounters a fictional, you know, a, a fictional Italian. <laughs> I mean... Don't you hate when that happens? I do, too. All the times I wake up and Mario's just sitting on my chest and I'm like, oh, just come on. And he's like, wahoo! Wah! <laughs> 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 Oh, no. Yeah. And the early part of it is... It's boring. It's really boring. <laughs> yeah, because it's... It doesn't have a set destination to go anywhere. It's us looking... Taking a snapshot of his life. One moment, mm-hmm. he's in his house... Uh, dreaming of a plane. Next moment, he's on a train going to Tokyo. Next moment, he's 
on his way to Germany to go check out mm-hmm. the German aircrafts. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just string, it's stringing along a sequence of events that feel connected, but doesn't feel like it has. It doesn't feel like it has a set destination. Mm-hmm. Which you know, yeah. th- if it's based on his life, there's no real, there's no real helping that. Yeah, there's no like our lives are not filled with places to go and th- a, a definitive ending. But at the same time, in historical biographical films of a normal like of a cinematic nature, you and maybe this is us. Maybe it's because we are Westerners and we don't really know what this guy is going on. We don't know really what the setting is. So the entire time we're just sitting there going, okay, so when's the bomb dropped? Has the bomb been dropped? I'm yeah. unsure. Like I thought the Great Canto earthquake was the bomb being dropped. And maybe that's on me, but it's also, it it's hard to tell what year all this is taking place in until it gets to like, you know, the, the uh, preamble to World War II in which I could, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, I know a Nazi when I see one. Yeah. When you were like, oh, they're doing some anti-Semitic stuff over there. And I said, oh, I thought you you said something about Batman. (laughs) I was like, oh, I guess that, okay, cool. I guess that is what's happening. But the thing is about a lot of other biographical works, especially of live action nature, there's usually like a, a central, like there's a core plot line to it. Like, uh... Let's go with the one Benedict Cumberbatch did about Alan Turing. You know, that's him mm-hmm. working on the Enigma Code. And, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to follow that. Of course, he's going to divert into other aspects of his life during that time. But we know it's going to be him cracking that code. This one, it could have been all centralized around him designing the Mitsubishi Zero, which, of course, mm-hmm. he did eventually end up doing in the film. But it we don't pick that up until the second half of the movie. That mm-hmm. he's going to design this plane, which I only realized it was a zero because it looked like the zero. They never called it that explicit. They did at the end. Yeah, at the very end. Yeah. Well, I feel like some of Miyazaki's works operate more as just a piece to convey his to just convey the themes he wants to and yeah this film got criticism over in japan for being so you know anti you know Mm anti-war and so uh, critical of japan and what they were accomplishing because i think the entire time you know it's conveyed that it conveys like we can't catch up to these other countries we can't catch up Mm -hmm. we're falling behind we are achilles chasing after a tortoise and it's really putting down Japan, at least in those times. And, you know, I mean, even there's a scene where they encounter the military and the military is just yelling and screaming over each other. Yeah. And nothing is being conveyed. And a lot of the things that this, that Jiro is kind of trying to do is make a novel flying machine. The entire time the military is like, you can't do that. Don't do that. No, stop. Yeah. But and there was one particular scene where he says, we can make it faster if we take off the guns. And everyone's just laughing at the idea. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I can table this idea till for later. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like Miyazaki and some of his works, he is trying to, he like, like I mentioned in the episode before, 
he his artistic styling is he puts up the designs and the scenes he wants to put. And there's obviously some lovingly crafted scenes, the one with imaginary Italian mm-hmm. where the massive one of his works is being set off. And it's really a marvel of design in the movie. You see it in real life and you're like, oh, it's one of those old timey planes where yeah. they knew that extra wings didn't do anything. <laughs> and that's a cool that's a cool little scene. And there's a lot of these cool moments, but they exist only in fantasy. And the uh, the fluidity of the flying that does occur later on is really interesting, but it's it's just I don't really care. Yeah, and that's just probably me because I don't care about airplanes. I'm sorry, I, I'm I'm not fascinated by flight or anything of that nature. So this film to me was just okay. So how are you going to present this interestingly to me, a peon Miyazaki? Yeah. And to offer a counter perspective, I am into airplanes. I think flight is really magical and majestic. Like, he, especially the fact that from the Wright brothers' first flight to landing on a moon was only 66 years. And to imagine, to put into perspective, how relatively short of a time we went from not being able to know how to fly to going onto the moon, it's phenomenal. And looking at airplanes and, like, the miracle of human flight, something that we as a a species have been dreaming about since the early days. So, aeronautics and flight for me is really fascinating. And I love to see animators really show off their stuff and show their love into airplanes. And that's something that clearly... uh, Miyazaki. Yeah. Blanked on his name for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> Mitsubishi. No. <laughs> and that's clearly something Miyazaki is all about. Even from his first work, Castle of Cagliostro, with that wackadoodle flying machine that the Count has. And you can see that in most, if not all, of his films. Nausicaa, House Moving Castle. Uh, did he have something spirited away? Some kind of like steam-powered whatever maybe not but in most of his films he always has some fantastical flying machine to really push the like push the limits of what can be considered an aircraft and Mm -hmm. i'm sure that for him to work on this historical biopic about the designer of the mitsubishi zero which you know just despite its historical use, is something of a bit, uh, a point of pride for, you know, aircraft designers of any nationality, as well as for the Japanese. And for Mm -hmm. him to have that for Jiro, who himself has always been a proponent of flight for flight's sakes, not just a military fighter. I'm sure this was something that he was really, really gung-ho about, and was really excited to work on, and really pushing for his production to green light. Yeah. I feel like we would have really gotten more out of this film as far as just to see the brilliance of it if we had watched that documentary, The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. Yeah. Because, I mean, I got so much perspective just out of the NHK uh, documentary, and I'm, I'm really curious as to what goes into a film of this nature. 
in something that Miyazaki worked on himself, something that's obviously a passion project, and then something he's taking, like it, it'd be basically if I took this podcast at some point and said that was an okay thing, but now I'm going to work it into something else, mm-hmm. into a different form. And I, I just, I'm curious about the artistic sort of design that goes into that. And it's like you were saying earlier, I do find the fact that he's so interested into the aerodynamics and the, you know, the aircrafts. I think that's really cool. You see that in almost all of his films Mm -hmm. and you see his fascination with it. And that's interesting. But I, I just, I did not care about the end goal and the planes were cool. Yeah. The thing is, with it being centered on planes, it didn't showcase them too much. Though, in all fairness, what can you really showcase about planes other than them flying besides them being in dogfights? And, you know, if you do that, then you're really celebrating not the planes, but the combat. And Miyazaki, you know, is very pacifistic. He doesn't want to do that. So that's all fair. In place of yeah. that, we have Jiro and his life when and Jiro Goddamn, he, he is emotionless for me. I just can't get anything from him and I can't tell if it's his expressions or if it's Hideaki Anno or if it's just how his his uh like nonchalant reaction or his disconnected reaction to a lot of stuff. Now he does show a lot of emotion towards his wife. Or fiance, yeah, they saw it. They uh made it official towards his wife and her disease, and that's really great. That was good to see the him finally showing some emotion. Mm-hmm. But uh, before I saw this, I thought Wind Rises was just a a film about this character who I did not know was based on a real person. I thought it was just this character designing planes and working on his own plane. I did not know it took place in the early World War II era. I didn't know he was working on military planes. And then you told Mm -hmm. me not long before we watched it that, oh, it's about uh, Jiro Horikoshi, who worked on planes and wanted to work on his, his perfect flying machine, but he has to contend with contractors who demand that he make military planes and i thought mm-hmm. that would have been cool to see like yeah. his, his inner conflict of wanting to make planes but not wanting to make war machines but i didn't yeah. get that at all i did not see any hint of internal or external struggle of him like being conflicted of making war planes it was just mm-hmm. him saying you know i'd like to design a graceful craft but you know gotta design this war plane yeah, and I guess that's on me too, because I thought just based off what it was about, I thought it would be more, it would be, it would it would ruminate more on the process of your art being used to destroy you, you know, sort yeah. of like what Miyazaki might think of, you know, about anime, as he creates these things that he thinks are masterful and wonderful creations, and then he goes outside and he sees Onicha, I mean Nini touched my baby. And then he's like, okay, I will take it all to hell. Yeah. 
And I, I thought that might have been the point halfway through. I was like scratching my chin going, I see what you're trying to say, Miyazaki. It's gonna, he's gonna make the plane and then he's gonna have to live with his regrets and his wife and you're, it's gonna be about that. And then it just kept going and I said, okay, maybe I don't know what you're trying to tell me. And at the end, when, at the end, when he's going through all those crashed planes and stuff, I thought, yeah, that's kind of what I thought the message was gonna be, was him going through this graveyard of his work crashed into the ground and i i thought that was a little bit poetic to what miyazaki must be trying to say but it it didn't linger on that then the movie ended Mm -hmm. and 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 there's just so much of that that to me i had a lot of expectations and it's i think it's on me it's on me that i'm disappointed but at the same time really and truly I I I like this film. I like it after the first hour hump. Yeah, <laughs> but I I really would have liked to get to rewatch this film after having my expectations tempered. Yeah. Then I could have probably appreciated it more. I probably could have said, "Okay, yeah, uh, I see. I see what this movie is in its entirety. Let me go back and appreciate it again." But we didn't do that, so here I am without that sort of perspective but for me for me going through this film a lot of it felt like designing a plane really there were setups the things that just crashed and burned so there was setups and they just didn't go anywhere they failed compared to other things i had seen but then finally it, it, it kind of took off but by then the war was over mm-hmm. you know and speaking on that last scene even up to and especially at the last scene I could not tell if Jiro was apathetic about his planes being used for warfare and not returning or remorseful about them being used for warfare and not returning. I couldn't gauge how he felt about the whole ordeal mm-hmm. and that's kind of where my issue is. He's very stoic like you said and he's hard to read and I, just, I can't connect with him and his struggle if he has one. Right. I mean, I don't think, I don't know if he has a, I don't know what his struggle is. Maybe his struggle is just trying to find a personality. <laughs> I, I I feel that too. And that goes to my, uh, while I, I shat on Ono's performance, there's just, t- there's just so much that I kind of settled into by the time the story ended. Mm-hmm. And Anno's performance, like I said, was a big point of contention for me. But after when when his romance story started to take flight, <laughs> <laughs> when the romance sto- subplot became the plot, that's when the movie really kicked off for me. Yeah. When it became about that, that is when I was engaged. When it became a story of, you know, this uh, the actual World War II plot, that's when I was interested. But yeah, because you have you have the conflict of does he stay with his ailing wife or does he work on his plane? Hmm. Yeah. I just. There's just so much about this film that I had expectations for. And starting it off, 
with this sort of slice of life of this depiction of a pre-war Japan and all that kind of just set, showing me, a person who knows nothing about it, just how bad off Japan could be in certain parts of the country and then going forward and setting all that up. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. This is honestly, of all the Ghibli films I have seen, or all of Miyazaki's films and Ghibli films, this one did not hook me at even when it got to the point that I was really engaged with. I still felt myself looking at my phone whenever it vibrated, mm-hmm. which is something that <laughs> I did not happen in Howl, did not happen in Castle Sky, did not happen in Cagliostro or any of those. I was consistently hooked. It's the litmus test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because I, I've just want that when i see miyazaki i expect that sort of whimsical charm and like we mentioned i mentioned when we were talking through that that's not always in his films you Mm know uh well in ghibli films only yesterday is pretty fucking slow but it pays off let's talk about that let's talk about the animation talk about studio ghibli and miyazaki so with films like Kiki's Delivery Service, Spirited Away especially, uh, and Howl's Moving Castle, Castle in the Sky. You, after so long, there's kind of a brand established with Studio Ghibli. You expect, mm-hmm. like, when you hear Studio Ghibli, you expect something like, you know, fan- fanciful creatures and, you know, gloriously complicated but well-established locations. And so for them to go into a historical uh, depiction, it's it, it's kind of off-brand for them. And mm-hmm. like something I noticed that the Miyazaki Ghibli, a lot of their signatures, a lot of their signatures are still in this movie. Like, when it gets to him imagining the... designing the strut... the strut fitting for the wings. And, of course, it breaks in his daydreams, and he's jotting down notes of how it broke, why it broke, how to fix it. And the papers are flying around him. Wind is rushing as he slowly gets called back into reality. That's beautiful. That's some... Sakuga. Sakuga. And that is, you know, something... I expect from Miyazaki Ghibli and it delivered. But for the rest of this, when it's not the planes flying, when it's just the characters going from location to location and just talking with each other, it feels like wasted potential. It feels like there's not much to work on for Ghibli to, you know, express themselves. There's no, mm-hmm. like, ten-legged kappas to have all their legs, you know, jittering back and forth like a millipede. There's no room full of servants feeding no face for all of them to be bustling around with their dishes, food, and sauce flying everywhere. There's nothing like that, really, to happen in Wind Rises. So, other than that signature Miyazaki character design and art style... 
there's not a lot here that can really be done. And that's right. and that's kind of a there's no wow factor to really entertain the eyes. That's true. I I mean then that is something that I'm I'm not seeing that sort of animation that keeps it hard for me to draw myself away from the screen. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing what looks like a biopic that was animated for some reason. This could have entirely worked in most places as a just actual movie. There's no reason for it to be animated. There's nothing that it is using except uh, there are in scenes. I, I shouldn't make such bold claims. Yeah. There are scenes that do really show off what the, the, the purpose of the animation, but overall a lot of it just feels like the Ghibli is there, but the entire spirit isn't with it. It, it feels like there's a little bit of a disconnect in yeah. that in that way. Yeah. <sighs> I'm just I'm just really torn on this movie. It has been the only I well, I don't think this is a bad film by any means. It's the one I've enjoyed the least. Right. And maybe that's because I'm stupid. <laughs> Because, I mean, there's a couple of things where we've watched movies that were more grounded and I was just sitting going, I don't care, this is dumb, stupid, but I don't know. I just don't know. I don't think I'll ever know. I think I'll just chase forever that unknowing. Hmm. And speaking of not knowing, uh, hey, we gotta do final reviews. Before oh yeah, you we do gotta that. do final. <laughs> you had it loaded up. You're like, time for a big boy transition, <laughs> and then your gun jammed. <laughs> Shit. Mm. So you want to give our final sco- reviews and our scores? Final thoughts and reviews coming right at you. So as I just said, or said previously, this is the movie I enjoyed the least. We all heard how I enjoyed Spirited Away, how I liked Howl and Lupin the Third, but this one just didn't hook me. That said, or not in the beginning, halfway through, I was engaged. I was actively, I was full on watching. But up to that point, I was just sitting there looking at what was happening on screen, uncemented to the actual action and all that was unfolding. But as it went on and reached the halfway point, that's when I said, oh, I see what's going on here. I see what you're saying. And that's when I was actually caring. That's when I actually wanted to, I actually wanted to see more. But by the time that happened and the time I kind of came around to the film, I, I, it ended. It ended. I got the message. I got everything that was trying to be said. War's bad, okay? <laughs> everything, you, everything you create that's beautiful will eventually turn into, a, will eventually decay and turn into dust. Creating beautiful things is only so much of a, uh, is only so much of a, um, Help is so much of a helpful a catharsis as it were and you know I don't know I got through it I got through it and I liked it 
but I didn't like it as much. It didn't reach the heights of entertainment, the sheer joys and brilliance that other, other um, that other things gave me. You know. Yeah. So, in the end, while I do think this is a good film, I think it's great, a a, a very great movie in the ways that I know what Miyazaki's trying to do. I feel like it's a tale worth telling, especially by the end. And I I think a rewatch would definitely bump my score up after having my initial thoughts kind of just settled. But overall, at the end of the day, I can only from this first viewing, and maybe I'll raise it up. I have the Blu-ray pre-ordered. <laughs> well, the Steelbook Blu-ray pre-ordered. Ooh. So maybe when I get it in and I rewatch it, the score might be jump higher. But right now, I can only give this a solid, a very solid middling 7 out of 10. This movie about planes is itself pretty plain. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> But really, uh, so we had both Matt and I had the perspectives of not a fan of planes and a pretty big fan of planes, and both of us had this at the similar reaction of I enjoyed it, but not as much as the others, and really it did kind of meander along, even though that's a it's. It's a historical depiction, so there's really nothing you can do about it. But coming into this, I think the issue was that I did not know it was a biopic, and so I was expecting a more narrative-driven film. But with this being a Miyazaki production, I was expecting a lot more than what was given. Right. And while you said that you might bump the score up on a rewatch, I feel like my score won't change on a rewatch. I feel like that I've gotten the gist of what this film is trying to tell me uh, from the first watching. And I don't, I don't believe, I, I don't feel like I've missed anything that I would catch on a rewatch. So I, I don't think anything would change with a rewatch. Mm-hmm. other than a couple of standout scenes like the Great Canto Earthquake uh, the design of the of the Falcon Plane a lot of this could have been done in live action and I've, I will boldly say I might enjoy it better in live action if it was mm-hmm. ever done so. but yeah, with this being the latest one, I was expecting through our Miyazaki glance through that the latest Miyazaki work would have like all the standouts and refinement of all of his work. Maybe that would have happened in Ponyo back in 2008. I haven't watched that one either. but That's a good one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe we'll be better with How Do You Live coming out in the near slash mid future. Mm-hmm. But with this, I gotta say, it's kind of the least whelming of all the Miyazaki works. And I, painful as it is, I have to give it a, a solid 6 out of 10. Hmm. 
Interesting. Well, before we close it out, I do want to... So, we've all gotten a taste. We've gotten a taste of Miyazaki's work. What the? What are your impressions now after having sort of de- like analyzed and just sort of gone through these films? Well, for the most part, all of these films, even The Wind Rises, gives me the sense that this is what anime is all about. This is what inspires me to want to watch anime or animation in general. A lot of his mm-hmm. works, especially Spirited Away, especially Mononoke, even Castle Cagliostro, which is a different story, they show me that this is what animation can do, and this is how like fanciful storytelling can really you know connect with your connect with your inner heart and that childish sense of whimsy that whether we know it or not we all crave just that mm-hmm. sense of of wistless enjoyment or wistful enjoyment i don't know wisty wisty yeah but yeah, if, they, if there's one thing to take away from Miyazaki works is that despite how ham-fisted it can get and uh, after sev- after so much exposure, nature and the environment truly is beautiful and worth preserving. And that's one of his many messages that he gives out through his films that we need to protect the earth and the environment because it has care for us, we need to care for it. And mm-hmm. and it does a good job of showing that not just through the storyline, through the characters' actions, but through the wonderful visual representation through his landscapes, through the the fluid motion of the different creatures and animals, just making the whole animated world feel alive. Mm-hmm. I get that completely. I I feel the same way. I uh, came in thinking this guy was overhyped. I only experienced so much of his work, and there were all the kind of works that I didn't like as much as the ones I was exposed to. And through it all, through the experiences I had, I really do see him as the 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 premium artur of anime filmmaking. I don't think anyone has. Ye- I don't want to make such a bold claim, and then feel stupid <laughs> later because I forgot something. I think he's one of the leading tours or the leading tour and what anime filmmaking can be. I think with his animation, with the stories he's telling, I think they're all, just from what I saw, I think they're fantastic, phenomenal. Yeah. You know, this one, even this one, I, I did not enjoy as much as the previous ones, but I think that, you know, maybe through rewatches, I can understand what the critics are kind of getting into and what they feel, but... I really, I mean, I'm getting all the dude's works on 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 collectible steelbook Blu-ray. Obviously, I have high, high, high thoughts of the man. Yeah, and what you said earlier—that is the feeling we both had. We thought he was overhyped. Sure, spirit, like we all grew up with Spirited Away, and that's like the template we have for Miyazaki and Ghibli works. And we thought going in that yeah, it's good but it's overhyped. 
And then as we started watching, we realized there's a reason why this is talked about, even to this day. Yeah, yeah. There, people don't just lie in nostalgia and because it's there. They do it because it's something that is legitimately good most of the time. Sometimes they're more doubtful than others. But overall, I mean, there's a reason why this man is synonymous with anime and his work's synonymous, you know, with the sort of vision that anime produces and i mean i'm glad we did this month it was a good month this was was a good good month month. we watch good stuff sometimes and that's good yeah that prevents the burnout (laughs) truly does it does we need to like supplement every anime misery with like two good shows Because this prov- coming to you live this provisional Friday is a show that uh will burn you out on anime. Yeah, and trust Possibly. me, we did not plan it to be this way, but it feels the most appropriate. And you will see when it comes out, or if you are listening to this after it already came out. Uh, hey, why don't you go check that episode out? You yeah. know which one it is. The very thing that Miyazaki raged against is what we're covering next. <laughs> and we will be there that Friday. <clears throat> that has been our coverage of The Wind Rises, as well as our uh, glimpse into the works of Hayao Miyazaki for Miyazaki month and we have been the otaku melancholy podcast hey we have been your hosts matt and brad catch us every tuesday and every provisional friday for possibly the last friday provisionally on our website at (laughs) otakumelancholy.com where you can find our previous episodes and where you can download them for on-the-go listening you can also find our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Discord. That's oh, you. yep. That's me. Here I am telling you about things. And speaking of airplanes, <laughs> today's quote comes from Charles Lindbergh. Look him up, kids. It's, 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 he's a historical figure. He's a historical figure, and like most historical figures, I'm sure he's done something awful that we do not approve of in today's day and age. But today's quote comes from him. I have seen the waifus I worship and the anime I love destroying the civilization I expected them to serve. <laughs> how how apocryphal. Now that I've said it out loud... <laughs> I feel, I feel like I've done something b- bad. It seems like this would be a deep quote, but I, but I screwed it up. <laughs> well, that's it. That has been show, and that has been Miyazaki month. Will it come in next year? Probably not. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? There's still more, still more Miyazaki films. Always grasping at content. Anyways, bye-bye. Take care. Gambate.